Good morning. Man, it's great to be with everybody today. Tis the season, right? How many of you are the people that absolutely love this time of year? You could go ahead and raise your hands higher if you want to. You know, there's two kinds of people at Christmas time. There's those that are like begrudgingly saying, if you dare put a tree up before Thanksgiving, it is the same as sacrilegious, and I don't want to hear Christmas music before Thanksgiving. And then there are those that like after July 4th, they're like, can we go ahead and start playing Christmas music yet? <laughs> I kind of fall in between those. You know, I really love Christmas, and we're the kind of people that if we had any more Christmas decorations, we'd need to build on another room to store them. We're kind of those kind of people, so I really do love this time of year. But tis the season. We see tis the season used for a lot of things. Tis the season for savings if you're in the retail business. Or tis the season to be freezing this morning, right? But you know, it's also the season for holiday sayings and Christmas scriptures to appear in things like this that you see on the screen. Verses like Isaiah 7, 14, or verses like Isaiah 9 and verse 6. These are common ones that we see used mostly just around Christmas time. Or how about Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21? And he shall bring forth, she shall bring forth a son, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Or Luke 2, 11 is another one that we see a lot this time of year. Or Luke 2.14, peace on earth and goodwill toward men. This one caught my attention in a different way this year. As I reflect on the past year, peace is not what comes to my mind. I don't recall a single time that I watched TV or got online and read some news or scanned through social media that I thought, wow, isn't it great that there is such peace among us and goodwill toward each other? I just don't, I haven't thought that all year. It's really been quite the opposite. This slide would be more accurate this way, would it not? Obviously, he's not from Washington, D.C., now, it's kind of funny, but it's sad at the same time. As Christians, this should serve as a wake-up call of concern. Because oftentimes, as the culture goes or as the world goes, so goes the church. We certainly do not want to be fragmented by the things of the world in the body of Christ. Jesus calls us to be people of peace regardless of and even in spite of the world around us. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 3, Paul urged everyone who would read this letter to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Why did he write this? You see, anytime something is addressed in one of the letters of the New Testament, 
we can automatically assume that something was going on that created the need for this to be addressed. And the fact of the matter is something was going on. The church in its infancy was at a high risk of an even deeper level of polarization than what we see in our world today. Jews and Gentiles had been made equal by the blood of Jesus Christ, and many of them struggled to accept that fact. So, much of our New Testament deals with peace and unity in the church. It's in nearly every one of the letters that we have in our New Testament. So this morning, we're going to look at this concept for a few minutes. Utilizing a few thoughts from the book of Ephesians, we're going to see that Christ created a standard of peace between us and God, and that standard becomes the standard for peace and unity between all of us as members of the body of Christ. This peace, when fully realized, gives the church an impenetrable, uh, impenetrable, one should never put a word in his notes that he can't say well, impenetrable strength. And Ephesians helps us see that. So if you've got your Bibles with you, open up to Ephesians chapter 2, because that's where we're going to begin here in just a second. But what we're going to see as we get down through this and look at Ephesians, it offers some tools that can help us manifest the peace that, that Jesus wants us to manifest. In order for us to fully realize and fully manifest the intended peaceful and unified culture in the church, we need to better understand Jesus in that context. Jesus is the personification of peace, and in that, through his sacrifice, he created peace and unity in the body. Go with me to chapter 2. Now, we're not going to read down through all of this, but I want you to notice something. I want you to notice what happens when we take the high points of each of these scriptures down through here and see the message that it is saying. Look at the first words there in chapter 2 and verse 1. Paul writes, and you were dead. And he goes on to talk about how they were dead in their transgressions, what they formerly were. But now look at verse 4. He says, but God. But God being rich in mercy, notice verse 5, made us alive together with Christ. That's what Jesus has done. We were dead, but God made us alive. Now jump down to verse 11. You jump down to verse 11, and Paul here, he's addressing Jews and Gentiles. He goes back and forth a little bit with that. And he starts out in verse 11, Therefore remember that formerly you Gentiles. And then he goes on to use three words. You were separate, you were excluded, you were strangers. Then there's verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you have been brought near. And here's the finale in verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who made both 
one. That is Jesus as the personification of peace. Now, the peace of Christ then looks like this. All are equally separated from God without Christ, but all are equally united in peace through Christ. We are all united to God in peace because of what Jesus not only did, but because of what Jesus is. He is peace. Now, I assume that most of us are aware of this. This is not new news to us. But have we really internalized that? Have we really internalized what Jesus is and therefore what that makes us as his people? How good of a job do we honestly do at seeing the equality that Calvary brought to everyone in the body? The first century Christians knew this principally, but they didn't do too well at fully manifesting it. We must. We have to manifest the peace of Christ. You see, it was Christ's deepest desire, and really it goes beyond desire. It was Christ's expectation to see his peace actively realized in his body after he ascended back to heaven to reign over it. Look at the the Beatitudes. Think about those in Matthew chapter 5. Four of the eight Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the gentle, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the peacemakers. All of these speak of the type of relationship that the Lord's people should have with each other. Over in the Gospel of John, in John 13, he even says that love should be an identifying mark of a disciple. We should be known by our love for one another. And in John 17, he says something else. And this, to me, is really striking when you think about it. In John 17, he's been praying for his apostles. He starts that in verse 6, and he prays about the 12. they got a big job ahead of them, and so he's praying about them. But then in verse 20, he turns it over to pray for every single person who would become a child of God after the apostles, those that they taught, those who they discipled. And that goes on down through the years until we're included in this. And look what he says, beginning in verse 20. He says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word. Well, that's us. And look at what he immediately prays for us. Verse 21, that they may all be one. Even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be in us. Why does he pray this? So that the world may believe that you sent me. You see, not only is love an identifying mark of God's people, so is unity. So is our bond in Jesus Christ together with each other. So love and unity both are to be key characteristics of Jesus' people as we interact with each other. 
Now, interestingly enough, without love and without unity, peace is unattainable. We can't effectively pursue peace Jesus' way until these things define us. So we have to actively internalize things like this. Before we came to Christ, we had sinned and peace was fractured. Without Jesus, we have no hope. No matter who we are, no matter what we are, only in Christ is our relationship with God restored. It's not based on anything we did to deserve it, but because God chose to count us as righteous by our faith in his son. So what that does is at the very core, who we really are, we're all the same. Without Jesus, we don't have any hope. We are essentially broken. So with Jesus, we are broken, but beautiful. We are sinful, but we are forgiven. We are equal because of Christ. We are his children through faith in him. Once we internalize this, once we internalize the full realization of the peace of Christ, we can begin to fully appreciate the fact that it forms a special bond of peace between all of us. And that bond serves a vital purpose, and it is to give us strength. After Paul challenges the Ephesians in chapter 4 and verse 3 to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, he starts to provide a basis for this. And this basis kind of goes back to what Jesus said in John 17, those who believe in me through their word. You see, things in the message of Jesus are foundational elements for us to be unified. And that's why in 4... Verse 4 through 6, Peter mentions, or excuse me, Paul mentions all of these ones. He says there is one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. And we're unified on those things. Well, a few verses later, we find out why. We find out what these things are for and what these things give us. So jump down with me, if you will to about verse 12 in chapter 4. We're going to be back to some of the, pre- the, the preceding verses here in a moment. But notice what all of this is for, this unity. It is for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of stature which belongs to the fullness of of Christ. And then verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is ahead, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted together and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Look at all of these elements that we see here. The image is a body completely connected. There are no blank spots. There are no holes. It is a singular and a complete entity. 
You see, if it had holes in it, it wouldn't serve any purpose at all. Now, we might get an image of something like the Great Wall of China when we think about an impenetrable force. But really, the Great Wall of China was the opposite of that. The Great Wall of China is an example of we, what we don't want to be. I don't know if a lot of people are aware of this. The Chinese never called it the Great Wall. It wasn't great. It wasn't a single wall. It was multiple walls. It had areas in it that were not guarded. It had areas in it that were broken and fractured. And it had areas in it where you could just simply walk around the end of it. The Mongols got through that thing numerous times over the years. It didn't serve its purpose at all. You see, to have any sort of strength against this tumultuous world, the body must be fully connected at every joint and splice. So what does this look like? What makes a strong body? And the answer is found also in Ephesians chapter 4. And it comes through a couple of things. First of all, it comes through some gifts that Christ gave to the church. In verse 11 of chapter 4, Paul writes, He gave some, and this is Jesus giving gifts, is what this passage is actually getting at. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. These are gifts that Jesus gave to the church. And we have the word of God through the apostles and prophets, which is why Jesus prayed what he prayed back in John 17. It is that word of God that is the foundational element that can unify us together. And so that's why we have that as a gift to the church. But also we have evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And their job, what they do for us to keep us strong, is they teach the truth in love. And they teach the truth in love so that we are not what verse 14 talks about in chapter 4, where it talks about being children tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, craftiness, and deceitful scheming. That's what evangelist shepherds and teachers in the church help us avoid is becoming that because there is no peace and unity in that picture of what we see in verse 14. The other thing we see that helps us be unified from chapter 4 is we see that every member of the body is a serving member of the body. The key word here in the latter part of this text is service. For the body to be strong and unified and at peace, it must consist of people who serve it. Look again at verse 16. In verse 16, we see the phrases whole body, that's every part. We see the phrase every joint. And we see the concept of each individual part. All of these elements working together create the special bond of peace and unity that Christ desires of his people. And what this does is it gives his body unimaginable strength. You see, united and in peace, 
We fight Satan as a body with each member bringing their spiritual strength to the battle. All of this sounds really good, but how do we do it? We haven't talked about that yet. How do we make this happen? It's easy to speak about it, but what's the prescription for peace? And the answer to that falls to me lies in one word, and that is intentionality. We have to be intentional about pursuing peace and unity all the time. We can't stop doing it ever. And so three quick things to go along with that. Number one, own it. We have to internalize it and own it from the deepest part of our soul. It has to be in our heart. Over in Colossians chapter 3, which is really a sister letter to the book of Ephesians, Paul would write, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. We have to own it way down deep until the peace that Jesus personified in his life, death, burial, and resurrection is cemented in our hearts and minds will be more like the Great Wall of China than the church of Jesus Christ. That's not what we want to be. You see, we have to intentionally say, because Jesus personified peace, I will be a person of peace. That's what we have to tell ourselves. We have to tell ourselves that until it's cemented deep within us. The second thing is we have to define it. And this doesn't just mean getting along because we should never disagree. That's not what peace and unity is all about. It means that only the Word of God can give us a working understanding of what it means to manifest the peace of Christ from situation to situation. Therefore, we have to be intentional about utilizing this if we're going to have peace. If we try to define it on our own terms, it's going to be something other than what Christ had in mind. The third thing we have to do is practice it. And this requires the most intentionality of all. No matter how uncomfortable, no matter how demanding or self-sacrificing or contrary to cultural norms, we choose to be people of peace. Christ's loving, serving peace that chooses to treat people a certain way. Back in Ephesians 4, Paul offers some exceptional insight on how we do this. And the things that he's writing here are in this very context. Jump down to verse 25. In verse 25, he writes, Therefore, laying aside all falsehood, speak truth to each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Look at verse 29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment. In other words, say things that build up, not things that tear down, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Then the very last two verses of the chapter, verse 31 and 2, 
Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Our broken world is going to continue to do what it does. If we really want to make a difference, the best thing we can do is live out Christ's peace and goodwill toward all right here in the body. Truthfully, we are the only hope for this world to experience his peace. They have no other hope than us. Are you being intentional about manifesting in yourself the peace that Christ personified? It isn't always easy. So I want to offer you the simplest thing that I know of to help you do that. And it, it, takes, an actu- it takes an active and intentional reminder constantly. And so the reminder is this. I am a person of peace because of Christ. He personified peace, therefore I want to do the same in the way I treat others and in the way I serve others. Can you imagine the difference that we can make if we actively do this? It's unimaginable. Perhaps you'd like some extra help with that this morning. We can pray about that together right now. Or, if you don't yet have the peace of Christ in your life, now is certainly the time to do that. You can obtain the peace through the blood of his cross today by being united with him in baptism. If we can help you with that or with anything else this morning, I'd encourage you to come as we stand and as we sing.